Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm GIC. And I'm Eli. And we're reunited after a week without Eli. It feels good. It feels good. It does. I'm glad to be back. I really am. Yeah. We missed you. We missed you. It wasn't the same. And it, we actually took longer to record the episode without you here. So maybe you add some some uh, pace to our recordings. I keep, I keep the cadence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know, maybe I uh, am dis- <laughs> discouraged from going on long, long tangents when, you know, I know someone else is going to speak on That's, the topic. So. Yeah. Eli also will cut you off occasionally, which I don't do as often, which I think is good. It's good that he right. cuts you off sometimes. Healthy. Yeah. He it's that. a brotherly thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you guys are in the same area today recording together. So that's pretty we are. cool. Not even the same zip code, like the same room. Yeah. We're sitting um, right next to each other if you want to go check us out on the YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As long as we don't make too many gaffes on here, I do put the videos on the YouTube. But sometimes when I have to cut it up a bunch, I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you don't part. want to see us popping all over the screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, we're back together after what was a pretty terrible week for the Orioles. I think it's fair to say they look as bad now as they have at any point in the last, I don't know, two or three years. This has been pretty sad to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, we've been pretty bad in the past two or three years too, but I would say at least on par with, yeah, some of the atrociousness. Yeah, I mean, what they're like two and 15 or two and 13 or something like that. It's absurd. Yeah, we, we have one major league starting pitcher right now. That's true. Um, and we have like... We'll, we'll call Matt Harvey like a quarter of one. He used to be a full one and he's taken a couple steps back this month. Yeah. And we, we get maybe one win a week at this point. So, <laughs> which yeah. is not, I think we're on, the Orioles are on pace now for 68 wins for the season, which feels right. But they were just doing so much better early in the season that it, I think we were on pace for like 75, 76. And this has really uh, stunted that growth. Um, but all right, well, let's get into some stuff that happened this week because it's not all bad necessarily. It's some things that we can spin into a positive light. Um, and the first one is that Rio Ruiz is gone, guy. Well, he's DFA'd. He's not released just yet, but he's no longer on the 40-man roster. Um, so let's just think about that first, separate from the move made in conjunction with it. Rio Ruiz is gone. Um, thoughts? Who wants to jump in here? Um, I guess I will. I mean... I guess from my perspective, obviously he was not hitting the ball. Uh, he was playing pretty terribly uh, leading up to this moment. Uh, I guess what I'll say is that it is a little surprising to me that he got so much playing time uh, through the first part of this season for him to get cut at this point. Um, so it seemed like the Orioles were really invested in him and trying to find a position for him that worked and everything like that. And then to just be just to immediately move on, especially when there are not many better available options uh, than Rio Ruiz at this point, that that part of it was pretty surprising to me. Yeah, I was a little shocked too. Uh, Eli, what were your thoughts when you saw the news? Yeah, I, you, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the year and we all really agreed that Rio Ruiz was not going to be here even midway through the season. And all of us said the same thing. Like, why is he staying on now when we all know he's just going to be cut partway through? And then, you know, like with the transition to second base, he made a couple of nice plays off the bat. Like we were like, oh, maybe the Orioles have kind of figured something out. No, he hit below the Mendoza line. You know, he was terrible. Um, and it's about time to see him gone. The one thing I will say is that I think Part of the reason he stuck around so long is just because, you know, some combination of those infielders we've been looking at at AAA, it'd be good for them to have another couple months. You know, Jemai Jones is a little banged up right now. And it just kind of made sense to just kind of milk him for what we could. 
and but at this point it's so unbearable and we have pat valeka who can step in that yeah just get rid of him well and what's also kind of interesting is ruiz still had i think at least one option maybe two options years left so he was a guy that was flexible and the orioles could have said all right let's send him down and have urias up for a little bit but they kind of went they took a a turn I wasn't expecting and promoted Stevie Wilkerson, which required somebody to be DFA to remove from the 40 man to make that happen. And, you know, we know what Rio Ruiz, Rio Ruiz is, sorry, did a Scott Garceau there, but we also, <laughs> we also know just as much who Stevie Wilkerson is. So I'm not sure what this gains us, but Jesse, you were very passionate before the podcast and, and concerned about the, the addition of Stevie Wilkerson. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm definitely not excited. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. He's a known quantity. He's been up and back down uh, for pretty routinely. Uh, well, the up part, he, I wouldn't say is as routine, but uh, <laughs> at, at one point for the Orioles a couple of years ago, he was up and down pretty frequently. And um yeah, I mean, the Orioles know everything about him, basically. He's not a he's not a kid anymore at this point where the Orioles are worth exploring. And I guess that's the disappointing part of the Rio Ruiz thing is, of course, I'm not that devastated Rio Ruiz is gone. But the fact that he's gone without anything replacing him that makes sense in my mind, that's what's a little uh, puzzling. So the, the thing to me there is I think that the replacement is going to be Pat Vileka. You know, I think Pat Vileka can be looked at as the replacement. And then the question is, who was replacing Pat Vileka as a backup infielder? And that was what they picked Stevie to do. And so, it, you know, if I had to guess, if I had to project out, I think that within two months, Stevie Wilkerson is DFA'd again. We stick him back in the minors. And one of those AAA infielders we've been talking about is up as our utility guy. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is like the the swap of Wilkerson and Ruiz, you don't lose a ton just because Wilkerson has options too. He just wasn't on the 40 man. So you had to make a move there. And Wilkerson has in the past played center field before. He's played the outfield before. He can technically play all of the infield positions too. So maybe He's older, you know about him, but he's at least more flexible and, and fungible for Brandon Hyde to kind of move around the diamond. I, I was going to add that is I, I definitely think that is part of the equation too, is that, yeah, he does have this flexibility. I mean, the outfield flexibility, I don't think the Orioles need as much or find as relevant, but definitely the infield flexibility, I feel like that is definitely part of the Orioles uh, thinking here. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we've already seen some of the issues though with the injury bug in the outfield this season. Santander is just coming back. He's got a history of getting hurt. Austin Hayes has already been hurt once this year. He gets hurt a lot. DJ Stewart gets hurt all the time. Really the only infielder that doesn't have injury issues, thank goodness, is our center fielder, Cedric Mullins. Now, knock on wood, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, that's the one position I think Wilkerson has played, but I really wouldn't want to watch him play again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not really super excited about it, but I also not sad to see um, – Ruiz go and there's really not there weren't that many other alternatives um, that were likely to happen at the moment um, but yeah I think as soon as Jemai Jones is healthy and, and maybe ready to, to come back that could be a move um, and you know we'll see good luck to Stevie he had a good first couple games here so and he's pitched once already yeah I, I did want to shout out the return of Dr. Poo Poo um, for those who don't remember uh, Stevie Wilkerson had actually like I think it was five and a third innings over the course of 2019 and Pedro Severino nicknamed him Dr. Poo Poo because he just kept throwing Poo Poo up to the plate. Um, and he came in and he threw a 45 mile an hour pitch to Joey Wendell and got him to swing through it. Uh, there was a bomb on the next pitch, but we won't talk about that. Yeah, it was, it was Wilkerson years ago that closed out that long game against the Angels and got a save out of it. So, right. you know, he kind of goes down with Chris Davis in the annals of uh, Orioles pitch, position players pitching. Um. All right, let's move on. Well, speaking of Chris Davis, uh, we had some Chris Davis news this week. Uh, no, he's not playing baseball. Uh, he has actually been deemed officially out for the season. He's getting hip surgery. It's not been revealed whether that hip surgery is related to what I think was a back issue that kept right. him out early in the season. Um, but Jesse, you had said prior to the season, and maybe Eli and I agreed, I can't remember, but you had said that you were pretty confident he wasn't going to play a game for the Orioles this season, and that is correct. What are your thoughts or your feelings 
that um, Chris Davis is not going to suit up for the Orioles this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the writing has kind of been on the wall for a while now that uh, this was going to happen. Uh, I mean, just the fact that he's been so inactive, the fact that he hasn't been a consideration really um, at all by the front office, by Hyde. Um, it was clear even when he was playing the little time that he has the past couple of years that they were just trying to hide him, not even trying to rehabilitate him or anything. So I think at this point, the Orioles don't see any, any hope at all for uh, the return of Chris Davis. And I, I think that uh, this is, this makes sense given uh, where they are kind of thinking about him and where they probably should have been thinking about him for a lot longer <laughs> than they have. So Eli, do you think this is the, we've seen the last of Chris Davis in an Orioles uniform period? Well, I think that, you know, I think he'll pop up at spring training and I think he might stay around as some sort of advisor or some sort of whatever. They do like him in the clubhouse. They say he's a good dude to have around. Um, so I do not think we'll see him suited up on the field anymore, though. Um, and I think this is kind of especially pertinent because Ryan Mountcastle has shown a lot of, you know, shown he has trouble in the outfield. And so him being pushed to almost exclusively a first base DH role, I think has been, it, it put a lot of pressure on that Chris Davis situation because, you know, with DJ Stewart and the potential we see in the bat with him, we want to get him at bats at DH. We want to get Mountcastle at bats at DH. Obviously we have Trey Mancini there and Hayes, Mullen, Santander are going to be holding down the outfield, hopefully. So there's really just no place for Chris Davis to go. And I don't want to say that this hip surgery is a huge, you know, great win for the Orioles roster for the rest of the season, but it kind of is. Um, yeah. So it, it's comforting in a way <laughs> that they're not going to have to play these games with him. Yeah. It was going to be a juggling act for sure. And it is fortunate. We don't have to watch that now. Now the off season becomes kind of interesting. You know, a lot of the talk around baseball is that the CBA is, is going to expire this offseason prior to the start of the 2022 season. There's been discussion that the Orioles are just holding on to Davis because there's thoughts that the 2022 season will be abbreviated in some way, shape, or form. And then um, Davis's contract for the year would be prorated rather than paying him the full amount. And then once the, the, the length of the 2022 season can be determined, then the Orioles can make a decision on Chris Davis. You know, we just saw the Angels cut Albert Pujols. Miguel Cabrera is having a bunch of trouble with the Tigers who are bad. That could be coming to a head there as well. Like we're seeing a lot of these older guys who used to be good, um, not really, you know, living up to those contracts. And, and, you know, we'll see Davis. I think, like you said, well, his name will pop up again in February, maybe when the Orioles get to Sarasota, but if anything funky goes on with the CBA, yeah, this uh, Chris Davis's days in an Orioles uniform are probably over. Right. Um, somebody that's season is just getting started. Well, he's, he started earlier in the year, but he's been hurt for quite a while is, uh, Anthony Santander. Uh, he returns as we're recording this episode on Friday, he is in the lineup for tonight's game batting fourth. Um, so the Orioles finally have, again, they had it for one day, I think earlier <laughs> in the season of an outfield of Santander Mullins and Hayes and, uh, and DJ Stewart was also on the roster and now it's, it's back again. Um, how are you guys feeling about Santander returning? Can he be uh, the sort of injection of life that this Orioles lineup has, has needed recently? Well, he, def he definitely didn't start the year well at all for the Orioles. Uh, it, it was very frustrating uh, just because we were hoping that he was going to build upon uh, the nice season that he put together last year. Um, and a lot of the Orioles offense was struggling at the time when he was struggling. Uh, but um, it would have been nice, obviously, to see him uh, perform better. Um, but this is another opportunity for him to kind of straighten things out. He is going to uh, he's going to have a lot of opportunity to play. Um, I mean, he, you know, by him being in the lineup, uh, hitting fourth tonight, even uh, it's definitely an indication he's going to resume his spot uh, hitting either two through four somewhere in the order. Uh, basically every night and um, yeah I mean he definitely has the opportunity to prove himself um, and to put together a better season hitting than he did at the beginning of the year 
Um, and maybe if some of the Oreo hitters around him can get it going as well, um, maybe that will uh, put him in a better position to, to, to hit better than he was before. Yeah, I mean, if you care at all about minor league rehab numbers, uh, Santander <laughs> <laughs> did go four for 12 with a home run, a couple RBI, you know, that's a 333 batting average. So, you know, he didn't look totally rusty down there in the minors. Uh, Eli, what are your thoughts on Santander's return? Yeah, so I just wanted to point out, you talked about the rehab numbers. <laughs> Jacob deGrom was on a rehab start the other day. Mm. <laughs> And he was blowing 102 past these high alien kids. <laughs> and the like the opposing team, the Palm Beach Cardinals or whatever it was, started tweeting out, like, can we get this guy off the mound? <laughs> you know, they, yeah. It was just funny. Anyways, uh, back to the Orioles and Santander. Um, yeah, so you know, Santander had an OPS of 890 last year. His slugging was through the roof at 575, you know, just legitimate power numbers. Um, his OBP was not quite as good, but you know, what that shows is he has the ability to make good hard contact as well as anyone in the league when he's on and when he's right. Um, so seeing him come back, hopefully healthy, that gives me a lot of confidence. You know, the Orioles offense has been struggling and you put an extra guy, you know, either on base for Trey Mancini or behind Mancini to give him some cushion, force pitchers to throw to Mancini at, I love that, you know, and I think this is the type of impact bat that the Orioles can need to give us a little jolt. I'm not saying we're going to turn into a top 10 offense in the league or anything, but um, yeah, you feel good about it. Uh, he is, you know, if anybody could be coming back from injury right now, Santander is one of the best bats in the lineup and he's a good one to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it definitely adds a dimension to the Orioles lineup. I, when I saw the lineup today, cause I get the little push notification when the lineup gets posted, it's like, Oh, that looks a lot nicer to have Anthony Santander <laughs> batting fourth rather than Michael Franco or Pedro Severino or whatever Brandon Hyde was trying to do to get the lineup going. So Freddie Galvis. Did he bat four? Oh yeah. yeah Galvis batted, batted four. four. He's not up to two though, Jess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I saw some consternation yesterday about the move to get Santander on the on the uh, roster, which was they demoted Ryan McKenna. I'm fine with that. I think that's what you would have expected to happen is, you know, Ryan McKenna is a rookie, not playing every day, put him down in Norfolk, let him play every day. But some people definitely felt more like DJ Stewart should have been the move, or maybe you do something with Valeka or you already get rid of Wilkerson or whatever. I've, I've seen it. People, people have their opinions online. I mean, do you guys have any issue with McKenna being the move for Santander? I mean, for me, uh, well, first of all, uh, McKenna being an outfielder, uh, I mean, that's a big reason someone, it's not someone like Maleka. Um, no, but I mean, I think it makes sense. I think he definitely doesn't have the same upside uh, that someone like DJ Stewart has. Yes, DJ Stewart is not as good defensively and uh, has to DH a decent amount of the time. But uh, we know that DJ Stewart is definitely a more competent hitter uh, than Ryan McKenna. And uh, I mean, when McKenna came up, uh, the Orioles organization is not expecting uh, a ton out of McKenna. When we brought him up, it wasn't like this is one of the key pieces we're relying on uh, to move us into the future. Uh, he was more or less a stopgap piece that was going to be kind of on the shuttle between AAA and the, and the bigs. And um, at his best, uh, he's probably not in the lineup every day, even, even at his best. So no, it, I mean, it's not surprising. I don't think people should be, I get liking him as a yeah. piece to, to have on the team, but I mean, I, I feel like people were pretty confused about uh, where Ryan McKenna was at in the eyes of the Orioles because uh, him getting demoted is, you know, should be fully expected. Yeah, that's no, I, I agree with you. I was kind of, I saw somebody say it should have been Ryan Mountcastle instead. And it's like, all right, let's, let's chill. <laughs> let's relax. But all right, cool. Um, so let's talk about another, another player that's been up and down a little bit. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman uh, has, is not starting again for the Orioles, but he did come in um, following a pretty disastrous opener performance from Adam Plutko. Um, Zimmerman came in and kind of shut the Yankees down, did give up a couple home runs or a home run to Aaron Judge, but pretty much everybody does that. 
Um, but Bruce Zimmerman looked pretty good, sort of in a, in a, in a hybrid role of relief, but multi-inning relief, long relief, sort of a, you know, Ryan Yarbrough kind of deal there. I don't know how you want to describe it, but, um, you know, Eli, I don't know if you have general thoughts about Zimmerman's performance or how the Orioles are sort of handling uh, moving Zimmerman up and down like that. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think that, you, you know, we had a couple discussions in the last couple episodes of this pod, you know, talking about how the young guys were being treated a little bit, kind of popping up and down. Uh, this was another situation where Zimmerman had struggled for a couple outings, goes down, you know, I'm sure he just gets a bullpen under a no stress situation, comes back up and we put him in the bullpen, you know, which somewhat surprised me. Uh, I did not really expect um, to see Pletko starting and Zimmerman coming in for that bulk relief role, but it worked out really well. And Zimmerman actually talked a little bit at, after the game about how he, you know, he felt like his mentality, he was able to just attack a little bit more um, and he wasn't trying to be quite so fine with it. And we did see him run a couple fastballs up to 94 or so, you know, which he hadn't typically been doing. Um, so, yeah, I really liked what I saw out of him. And I think that it, you know, this was another instance of the Orioles, like being gentle with their young arms, not trying to expose them too much, not trying to put too much pressure on them. And I think it worked out well. Well, what I, go ahead. Jess. Yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, to be fair, I mean, the Orioles did win that game and Zimmerman came in and did really well, but it didn't go really well because Plucko pitched terribly the first, the first inning and, or, and put us down four zero or whatever it was right. um, to start the game. So I don't know if it like went well. Well, but the, what, I'm just saying went well in terms of Zimmerman, you know, like went well in yeah. terms of their treatment of him and how he reacted. Well, and I wrote on Camden chat this week about how this is kind of an example of a thing the Orioles could stand to do a little more often with their pitching staff is try things that are different from the norm. Because I think prior to this game, the only other time they had gone into a game with the plan of the guy that started not lasting more than an inning or two was that Wade LeBlanc start where they were like, yeah, <laughs> throw him to the wolves, whatever happens, who cares? <laughs> So, you know, I don't know if this was Brandon Hyde's strategy going in, but you let Adam Plutko start, who's really good against right-handed hitting, right-handed hitters, rather. The Yankees have a ton of right-handed hitters. You let him face the teeth of the lineup the first time. Then you let Bruce Zimmerman come in and get the bottom of the lineup and then delay facing the middle of the lineup for a second time until like the fourth or fifth inning. That lets Bruce Zimmerman get a, at least an inning more into the game than he probably normally would have, which... He went five and a third innings. That's an inning more than Bruce Zimmerman probably normally would go against the Yankees. So again, I don't know if the plan was for Adam Plutko to implode in the first inning like he did <laughs> and then have Bruce Zimmerman clean up the mess. Um, you know, it could have been, oh, we're down four nothing. We're probably going to lose. Just put Zimmerman in because we know he can give us length. You know, the Orioles offense came to play that day. But if the strategy was what actually happened, I, you know, I commend Brandon Hyde for it because I think it makes a lot of sense on paper. Um, Jess, did you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see pros and cons to that system. Uh, like you said, uh, avoiding the, the order one more time and then maybe being able to get an extra inning, that's definitely appealing. I mean, I, I think that it is hard to come in. Just, I think it's difficult to come in as the second pitcher in an opener. Uh, just because, uh, one, um, you basically are functioning as a starting pitcher, but you don't have the same routine that you normally do uh, coming in when it's going to be the second inning. You don't know when uh, your first pitch is going to be thrown uh, like a starting pitcher would. You know, they, I mean, unless you're the home team, I guess you don't know, uh, or the away team, I guess you don't, you're, if you're the away team starting pitcher you don't know exactly when you're throwing, but basically you do, right? And yeah. um, so I, I think that it is kind of difficult when the plan is for you to come into the second or the third inning and um, you don't know exactly when that is because starting pitchers normally start their pitching routine hours before, right? They actually start. Um, so, I mean, I think that is one thing to, to consider. I mean, I definitely think uh, Hyde should be having conversations with, and I would assume he is, 
with Zimmerman about how he feels coming into a game like that. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I guess I say all that to say, you know, he is a young pitcher and normally like my initial inclination would be maybe don't put a young pitcher trying to just get, you know, an understanding of what it's like to pitch in the MLB. Don't put a young pitcher through that, but I definitely see how there are advantages to it. And um, maybe uh, for someone like Zimmerman in some situations, the advantages outweigh the, the, the cons of it. So um, I, I, I just think it's a balance. And I, I think that um, it's something that maybe should be experimented with and you know we'll see how it goes or whatever. Um, but I also can see how a starting pitcher would want the routine and the stability to come in with it being kind of their game in a sense um kind of having that sort of feeling and you just have a lot more control over the situation when you actually start the game than when you're the second pitcher after an opener so oh yeah I mean it definitely should be a case-by-case basis like Eli it sounded like Eli said Zimmerman said he was excited about it enjoyed the the role you know I think another guy that's an obvious person to try something different with is Jorge Lopez because he has very distinctive splits between parts of the game you know, I'm not sure you do it with somebody like Matt Harvey, who has been in league for a long time, kind of has his routine down. Maybe you try it with somebody who is obviously scuffling in certain parts of the game. But yeah, the Orioles are just, they're very starred for starting type of pitching or length in a game from a pitcher. So why not try something a little bit different? And, you know, it won't work for all of them, but it seems to work for Bruce Zimmerman. So, you know, something to kind of keep an eye on and monitor as we go on. And, and I mean, this is a problem, of course, when we're talking, we're having conversations about two and maybe even Kramer you throw into this, probably not just because he is a little more, I would say, durable than the other two starters. Um, but, you know, when we're having conversations about two slash maybe three starting pitchers in our rotation, oh, yeah. needing or requiring or benefiting from an opener. Yeah, some that's, special treatment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's not a good place to be uh, from an organizational perspective. No, not at all. And it's, you know, not surprising either. We knew the pitching was going to be rough. And I think we were a little spoiled the first month of the season. And now our, our nightmares are becoming reality, unfortunately. Um, but something that is going better than expected so far this season, I don't know better than expected. I would say as good as we expected it to be is Trey Mancini is fully back. And after scuffling a little bit, the first week or two of the season, he is now on, uh, on fire at the plate in May. He has a one, uh, he has a, a 1.027 OPS in the month of May. He is now leading, I think, what is it, all of Major League Baseball or just the American League? All of Major League Baseball. All of Major League Baseball and RBI, which we know, you know, is not the most important metric. And if there's anybody in the team that's going to knock in runs, it's it's Mancini because pretty much nobody else does. But <laughs> he looks really, really good. And I think Rich Hill said yesterday, uh, you should just give the comeback of the year, comeback player of the year award to Trey Mancini right now. Do you guys have any uh, anything against that? Sign me up. Yeah. Um, but okay. So Mancini, he's hitting really well. It's awesome. It's a very feel good story, but reality kind of smacks you in the face here because the Orioles, as we just talked about, they have an issue at first base where NDH, where they need to get Stewart at bats, Mountcastle at bats. Mancini's a guy that has one additional year of team control after 2021. So, you know, the trade question kind of comes in. We've talked about this recently on the show and you know, you guys weren't so sure about it. Have your opinions changed at all? Do you think Trey Mancini gets moved during the 2021 season? Uh, Eli, I want to go to you first. Yeah, I um. So the question is, do I think? <laughs> and I'm going to stress that that is the question because okay. do I think and do I want have right, two right, different right, answers. Right. Uh, yeah, I think Trey Mancini is going to get traded. I think it's going to sting. Um, but I think the Orioles hand is kind of being forced for them. And I think that that is because Mountcastle has shown, you know, he's an adequate defensive DH. I think that he has shown that he really struggles in the outfield. Mm -hmm. And I think giving him a permanent home from which to build off of, he started hitting the ball a little bit better recently in May. I think that's good for the Orioles long-term growth. And I think that Trey Mancini is, you know, he had 
you know, he hit 290 with 35 bombs in 2019, obviously missed 2020. He's coming out, already has 10 bombs. You know, he's hitting for a good average. He's a legitimate offensive threat uh, in anywhere in the MLB, in any lineup. He's, he, he's an addition. He's an asset. And I think that will come at a premium price to some team that is excited to bring him on. And I think the Orioles will get some probably pretty near MLB ready legitimate prospects. Um, that being said, I hate the thought of it. I just do not see anywhere for Trey Mancini in a future Orioles team. Um, I think our outfield is spoken for with the prospects and the young guys that we do have up. And I think first base is spoken for. I think our DH role is spoken for. And it's just getting crowded. Yeah, and that's kind of what I would say is that I think the Orioles are going to have an incentive to trade him um, at this point because he is hitting well, um, but also just out of need, uh, as we talked about with DJ Stewart, you know, basically kind of needing to occupy the DH role. A lot of the time he can play outfield, but it's not ideal. Um, and with Mountcastle at this point being limited to a first base DH role, uh, from an Orioles flexibility perspective, not having Trey Mancini on the team would be a big benefit strictly from that lens, especially when uh, Stewart and uh, Mountcastle are guys that we are trying to get in the lineup to give opportunity, to give playing time to. Um, despite Mancini's production, he does hinder our the Orioles' ability to do that, especially when as we were talking about, we have Santander in the outfield. We have uh, Hayes in the outfield that's playing pretty well um, that are uh, hindering uh, Stewart's ability to be in the outfield, right? So I think that um, it does make sense for the Orioles to trade him. Um, he is really hot right now. Um, but Mancini, the thing about him is he's known to do this. There are months where he kind of plays way above his ability, not above his ability, because he's clearly able to do this, but he has hot streaks where he really just tears the cover off the ball for a couple months. And then the rest of the year, he kind of plays more kind of at his, his standard uh, production level, right? Yeah. So I guess my thing is uh, the question, and I, I think it is likely that he does go, I think what the return will be for him right. um, is going to be more dependent on how hot he is at the moment the Orioles end up trading him. Um, and I, I think that's going to make a big difference. Well, see, so my thing is like, because what we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think you guys had brought up that, yes, he's a good hitter, but he's also a first base only guy. So right. you need to be a better than good hitter to be considered like, you know, a top 10 sort of first base Men, you know especially if you get dealt to the nl right right so you know i think what other teams are looking at is yes it's nice if he's hot at the moment when you trade for him maybe he carries that over to your team but i think more so is you know this is a guy with a track record he's in his late 20s this is you know when we want to still get really productive baseball out of him has he come back from his cancer treatments and gone back to being the player he was in 2019 and if you look at his numbers, he's almost exactly the player he was in 2019. His OPS on the season is 40 points lower, but his OPS plus is a point higher. His batting average is a little lower. His OBP is a little lower. His slugging is right in the same neighborhood. He's on pace hit about the same number of home runs. Like this is a guy that looks like he hasn't skipped a beat after missing an entire year of baseball, which I think a team is going to go, cool, sign me up. He can be my first baseman every day. I don't know what team right now it is that needs that. I haven't, I haven't like surveyed the landscape, but I'm sure it's out there. And, you know, the trade, the return is not going to be massive. I don't think, I think we need to prepare for that because, right. you know, there's a lot of first baseman out there that can hit a little bit and all in all likelihood, if you're a good team, you probably have a first baseman that can already hit pretty well, or you're getting offense from somewhere else in the lineup that, you know, a first baseman might put you over to the top, but it's probably not as important as, you know, a number two pitcher or something that might be out there. Um, because I think Mancini is kind of a stark contrast to Means, who Means is all of a sudden really, really good. Not out of nowhere because he was an all-star, but you'd be buying a lot on this season if you were to trade for him. Whereas Mancini's got this multi-season track record. So, right. you know, 
probably not as worth as much as means, but more of a known commodity, I think, and easier to move, obviously, than John Means would be. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll keep an eye on it, obviously. It's, it'd be a real bummer to see Trago, but, you know, the Orioles are where they're at in their development. And if you're saying Mountcastle's our guy, Mancini's got to go, unfortunately. Right. And we, we've kind of, I mean, we've kind of been expecting this to come for a while, you know, with, uh, with Mountcastle in, in the minors and having done really well. And, you know, we kind of expected him to be the first baseman of the future. I think at one point, you know, Oriole fans were like contemplating a, a potential extension for Mancini, but uh, especially as Mount as Mountcastle has become more solidified as the future guy, um, the the uh, the extension possibility has vastly diminished. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've talked on here before. I think like the skill set of Trey Mancini doesn't age well. I'm not so sure. You know, he's he just there's other first basemen like yeah, maybe you give him that extension, but Mancini doesn't quite look that way, but. Hopefully somebody does because he seems like a really cool guy and I like Trey Mancini. Big fan of him, whether he's with the Orioles or not. So we will see. Uh, for the record, I would be f like, I would support like a three, four year extension of Mancini. I think, uh, you know, I still think that, you know, DJ Stewart is not at the level yet where we can commit to him like for a full-time DH role. So, you, you know, like, I think the Orioles keeping him around from a PR standpoint, from a clubhouse standpoint would still be a good thing. And I think it would be a net benefit, of course. Um, and I just wanted to throw that out there. I felt, I, I felt like we talked about the extension possibility as a like less than 10% chance. And I think it's larger than that. I think that it all depends on, you know, it's a balancing act. I, I think you put him out there on the market and you look at what other teams are talking to you about. Right. And if it's some low ball offer that you don't feel the players coming back are likely to turn into major league contributors, then what's the point? Maybe, yeah, maybe we, maybe we hold on to Trey and try and trade him again next year, or yeah, maybe we add a couple years to it. You know, I'm not so sure. I just feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like his future doesn't seem like it lines up well with the Orioles future. Um, if the Orioles were maybe thinking next year, they could make a real run at things. You know, the math is a little bit different. But just with the trajectory right now, I think that it doesn't line up quite right. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just want to say, like, I really don't agree with that analysis. I think, like, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, just exactly for the reason Tyler was saying, like, a four-year extension, like, especially at this point in Mancini's career, like you were saying, his skill set doesn't really age that well. I think there is a lot of volatility. I mean, that, only, that only takes him to 33 years old. Right. But I think there is a lot of volatility in what his production might be. And the fact that he is an inflexible player. I mean, it seems like a contract that we might end up getting stuck with and regretting later in the future. Um, and uh, the one other thing I would say is like, I don't think the Orioles should really entertain the idea of an extension at the bare minimum until like his contract is up and um, He's or maybe like a half season before like at this point with a year and a half left on the contract I think from the Orioles perspective it doesn't make sense for the Orioles to be entertaining a, an extension unless you could get them like ridiculously cheap or something which I don't think is likely because I, no. I think Mancini is going to want to you know test his ability on the free agent market but right. barring some like very very bizarre circumstances especially at this point, I don't think the Orioles should be thinking about an extension. Well, and what I would say is like, we need to be, we need to kind of think of it as, I don't care if the Orioles give him an extension, go for it. As long as that doesn't then become, oh, we can't sign these other players because of, I don't want to hear that. You sign Trey Mancini, that's fine. I still want you to go give, you know, means an extension and also develop the minor leagues. I, like that's, you know, it's the owner's money. The Orioles have shown they can spend money. So as long as we're still getting the prospects and the team to be competitive while also having Mancini on the books, I'm totally cool with that. I just don't want it to be some crutch that the Orioles ownership goes to and says, well, look, we signed this guy to a 10, $15 million a year contract. We can't go sign some number two pro, um, some number two pitcher to back up Grayson Rodriguez on the mound. We can't do it. Like, no, I'm not listening to that. Um, all right. Last topic we've got here is um, 
you know, now that the pandemic is not necessarily winding down, but the optics have shifted a little bit, the population is getting vaccinated more and more. I think all three of us by this weekend will officially be fully vaccinated, which is very cool. Um, Camden Yards is lifting their restrictions on capacity. You will still have to wear a mask um, at your, when you're walking around the ballpark and they are still not allowing you to bring in outside food and beverage, which I don't understand how that helps with the COVID thing. So I'm a little upset about that. Um, but, you know, you guys have any thoughts just about, about, you know, yes, Camden Yards is lifting restrictions, but maybe on the changing landscape of COVID and, and professional sports and, and going to sporting events? I mean, of course, uh, you know, my instinct is that it's too soon. Uh, I think that optically we're at a place where everybody wants the pandemic to be over and wants to uh, completely move on and pretend like this isn't a thing that is impacting people's lives and killing people. Um, the one thing I will say about it is there is a lot of evidence that uh, outdoor arrangements are a lot, lot safer than indoor arrangements. Um, but still with that said, um, do I think that this decision is being made with uh, the best interest of the public's health and safety in mind? No, I don't think so. Um, I the think, best interest of the owner's pockets, right? right exactly. <laughs> Give Trey Mancini um, an extension. Exactly, right. <laughs> hey, if it gives Trey Mancini an extension, I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I'm joking. I'm joking. But um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely I'm definitely skeptical of it. Um, Will despite, you be going to an Oriole game? I mean, that's what I was just going to say is despite me being vaccinated, I think just like from a public perspective, like me wanting to do the right thing and encourage people to do the right thing. You know, if I'm saying that the building should not be at full capacity, am I going to go and be a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, be a hypocrite and basically uh, enforce and reconfirm in people's minds that like this is an okay and acceptable, you know, thing from a public health and safety perspective to do, right? I'm not sure. So, I mean, maybe if, you know, the numbers are looking shockingly good or something like that, maybe mm -hmm. I would. But at this point, I think that, um, I think just from a principled perspective, I, I think I would stay away. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of torn on it. I will let you know, if we're realistic about it, the Orioles are not going to have a sellout of 45,000 fans anytime soon. So the odds that the Orioles have every, every seat filled anytime soon are very low. Um, also, it's outside, which has been shown, low transmission rates. The population is getting more and more vaccinated. I would like for there to be some sort of you need to be vaccinated to go to the game sort of barrier there. That would make me feel a lot better, too. Um, but, you know, I we, we got to sit and wait. I don't think I'm going to go the first weekend of June, but I think as the summer goes on, the numbers change. I'm definitely open to it. I, I do think it's ridiculous, though, that they're not allowing personal food and drink. And that's something the Orioles have done for forever. It makes it more affordable for families like. I think that's ridiculous. And I don't understand how that helps with COVID in any way, shape or form. Eli, do you have any thoughts about this? <laughs> I, I would love to be principled. I would love to have hesitation, but if I had the opportunity to go see a major league baseball game, I would do it. Since you have no it doubt in not. a year and a half right. at this point, except right. for the- Except for some spring, spring training, training games. games. But, right. yeah. Th yeah, those were distance. Those had those restrictions. If I could go in and just feel the energy of a crowd and see a game, I would be super excited to do that. And I don't know, you, you know, like I'd probably hear it from Jesse and, yeah. I, I, and it would be valid. I wouldn't have a good counter argument, but I'd want to go and I will go at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to personal responsibility too. Like if you're, if you're one of those people that's like, I don't want to wear a mask and I don't want to get vaccinated. It's like, okay, well then, you shouldn't go to a baseball game. But I think if you're doing all the other precautions right and you're going to an outside entertainment thing, I, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. You know, you got to watch out for people in your life that can't be protected from it. But apart from that, you know, get, get back to life a little bit. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, before we go, we do want to do guess that Oriole. Uh, last week, I forget what the three clues were, but Rick Sutcliffe was the answer. Brady, thank you. Shout out again for DMing Always. us. Always Brady. 
Uh, other people are allowed to participate for sure. So feel free to DM us or email us or just tweet at us at the warehouse pod or the warehouse pod at gmail.com. This week's three clues. Clue number one, this person was a member of the 1983 Orioles World Series championship team. This person was the American League Rookie of the Year in 1973. And this person also went to Virginia State on a basketball scholarship and played there for four years. That is pretty surprising because normally, you know, you hear about the basketball guys, they end up being football players. Although Amir Garrett uh, for the Reds was uh, played at St. Joe's, right? St. Joseph's University. So and you remember cool. Mark Hendrickson, Oriole extraordinary, mm-hmm. former NBA player. That's true. That's true. I, I mean, baseball players are generally athletic, I would say. And yeah. um, oftentimes are multi-sport athletes. I mean, Mark Hendrickson, I don't know if I would have described him as athletic, but he was tall. <laughs> right. So there's that. I, I re- <laughs> so this is one of the funnest facts ever about him. So he pitched in a game. It was against the Blue Jays. I think the other guy was Josh Towers. And I only remember mm. that because he was a tower. Mm. Um, Hendrickson was 6'10", and I think Towers was like 6'7", and it was the tallest starting pitching matchup in history. I remember that. Okay. You know, but between the two dudes, they were over 13 feet tall. It was just obscene. Of course, now we can't really use Mark Hendrickson for guest Oriole. So, well, we could use different if we facts. give other clues. Maybe in a maybe in a year we can or something okay. after people have kind of forgotten about yeah. this. But yeah, true. Oh, and it also makes me think of Pat Connaughton, who went to Notre right. Dame. The Orioles drafted right. him. I think they still have his rights, but he's currently playing for the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe. Yeah, so, the Bucks. You know, uh, starting nine bar school podcast had him on. And, you okay. know, they're a baseball podcast. They had him on and did a full-on interview with him. And apparently he can throw like 96. Yeah, I, me- I remember being – he was like a legitimate one of their top 30 prospects. He went to school with Mancini. So that's right. kind of cool. Right. Very cool. But all right, uh, okay. those are the facts. So, you know, tweet at us, email us, DM us on Instagram uh, what you think the answer is to the guest that Oriole. Uh, this coming week, the Orioles have three games against the Nationals, including a game tonight three against the Minnesota Twins, and three at the Chicago White Sox. We'll probably record next time sometime in there. But for these next nine games, what is the outlook for the currently scuffling Orioles? Uh, Jesse, what do, what do you think the, uh, the record is going to be in these nine games? Right. So we are all playing them on the road, which does uh, historically favor us. So I am going to say we're going to get swept by the Nationals. <laughs> we'll win... <laughs> We'll win two against the Twins, oh, wow. and this we is... will get swept by the White Sox. Wow, that's a reversal. You were you were thinking the Twins were going to take us two out of three, I thought, before the podcast. You know, it, it's really wild because, like, last week, for instance, I had the Orioles winning two games, uh, and, of course, the Orioles lost both of the Yankee yeah. games I thought they would win and won the one I thought they would lose. Uh, I was correct that they lost all of them against Tampa. Uh, I guess that was probably the most easiest uh, part of the prediction I could have made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Washington and Chicago do not look like good matchups for us. So I would say. Yeah. So let me give the pitching matchups real quick for that. Um, tonight, Friday, it's Jorge Lopez against Steven Strasburg. Um, I think Strasburg's only making like his second start of the year though. Right. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman against John Lester and then Matt Harvey against Patrick Corbin and Corbin's not been very good this year. So and, and you never know. Lester too has been. Uh, uh, okay. Le- yeah. Yeah. He's John Lester though. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. There's, there's an air of he's mystique. Old. Yeah. That's, that's true. <laughs> um, Eli, uh, what about you? Yeah. So I've got us taking, let's see. I got us taking one against Washington. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we eke out the Zimmerman-Lester game. I've got us taking one against Minnesota and then getting swept by the White Sox. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Minnesota's kind of been scuffling. And quite frankly, the the Nets haven't been as good as most expected. And the White Sox are currently arguably the best team in baseball. Yeah. I think I'm going to say two from the Nationals because I feel like the Orioles normally play the Nationals pretty well, even when the Nationals are good. 
So I'm going to say two against the Nationals. And I think, yeah, that Zimmerman game we win, which that's kind of a big deal. He's starting again. We didn't really talk right. about that. But they win that Zimmerman game. And then I think Matt Harvey gets back on track a little bit. Um, I like it. And take that. And then I'll say, sure, one out of three against – I'll say one out of three each of the, the two AL Central series, one from the Twins and one from the White Sox. So that's what, four and – four and five. Four and five. So okay. you got us two and seven. And Jesse, what were you? I, I mean, Tyler, we should all be ecstatic if the yeah. Orioles go in four, four and five this upcoming week. I mean, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying, though, is like they're not going to be one and 11 every 12 games. You know what I mean? They're right. going to have no, good. So I'm going Whether it happens positive. immediately, though, is, is the question. That is but true. Yes. That yeah. is true. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I mean, so just so everybody knows, even though we probably, uh, the p- previous week probably warranted it, we don't have a silver lining of the week segment for this week. Oh, yeah, we, we boshed yeah. it on that one. Look, this came yeah. together last second. Uh, we're kind of recording real quick, but we appreciate you for listening this far into the podcast anyway. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so next week we'll recap those games, maybe only six of them. If Who knows when we record? We'll see. Um, we'll have a new guest at Oriole. We'll reveal this week's guest at Oriole and hopefully Trey Mancini is still, uh, crushing it. Cool. See what happens. I I guess, uh, if we did have a, uh, a silver lining, it would have been Mancini. So that's true. It worked out. We did have one. We just didn't call it that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so what you can do to support the podcast is subscribe to us on your various podcast platforms. Uh, you can email us the warehouse pod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the warehouse pod. And you can also follow us individually. Uh, Jesse, where can people follow you? Um, if people would like to, they can follow me on Instagram <laughs> and on Twitter at juggernaut8678. Nice. And uh, Eli, how about you? That's pretty good. I'm on Instagram <laughs> at ginzy55 and on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. Cool, cool. And I am on both as well at underscore Ty Young and at camdenchat.com. All right. Very well. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Let's go O's. Good for you. I guess you're getting everything you want. You bought a new car and your career's really taking off.